So there's civilization and then there's the woods. And then way beyond that, after the rolling hills where people can't stop going missing for some reason, there's the backwoods, full of old trails that have been overgrown and reclaimed by nature. Sounds uh, fun, right? Well, grab your stuff. We're going for a little trip with these five allegedly true backwoods horror stories. If you want to hear your story in a future video, send it over at darknessprevails.org submit. I'm looking for backpacker stories and sea monster sightings. Thank you. Backwoods Ghost Story by Redneck from Virginia. When I was young, I used to live in the backwoods of Pulaski, Virginia. I lived in a relatively large house, and we lived rather close to my grandparents, which, being a kid, I really loved. Ever since I was a kid, there were days that I would stay with my mother and some days that I'd stay with my father. On this particular night, it was a day when I was with my mother and my grandparents came over, who I will call Pa and Granny. Pa and Granny had come to the house and we decided to go out for pizza. When we got back home after eating, we all decided to go downstairs and watch some TV. So me, my mother, Pa and Granny went downstairs and turned the TV on. We were downstairs for about 25 minutes. At one point, my Granny had to go use the bathroom. She went up to the bathroom and after she was done, she came back downstairs but I immediately noticed that she was milk white. She looked like she had seen something horrible, so she told us all what happened. She said that after she had used the bathroom, she stopped for a moment to look in the mirror and to fix her hair, but at one point she looked away from the mirror for one moment, and she told us that when she looked back up, she said she saw a woman in the mirror, a woman staring right into my granny's eyes. My granny said she wasn't scared, but very nervous. And as she looked the woman in the eyes, the lady's mouth began to twitch until it formed an eerie, hesitant smile that twitched constantly at the edges. The moment my granny blinked, the woman was gone. She said that when she came back downstairs, she felt very uneasy. And as I said before, she was white as snow all the redness and color had been drained from her body. My mother even said that she saw truth in her eyes as she told the story and believed her wholeheartedly. But being a kid, I wasn't sure what to think. All I knew was that I was now scared of this place. After about a half hour of nervously watching the TV, my pa and granny went home and unable to take what my grandma said off of my mind, I decided to sleep in my mom's room for that week. There haven't been any more sightings since then, and these days we no longer live in the house in the backwoods. Dogman Driven Off by Blackburn. This is a story told by my grandmother, one that my aunt later corroborated separately. Now, my grandparents' home is in the backwoods of Virginia, extremely thick forest all around, with hilly terrain in all directions. 
You have to get on a dirt path and follow it for about half a mile to get to a gravel-covered side road, and then follow that for about half an hour to reach a very small town just across the North Carolina border. If you go a short ways north, you'll find yourself at the Blue Ridge Mountains and Parkway that lead up into Appalachia proper. The forest is mostly low-lying shrubs up to around four feet high with pine and a lot of black oak trees making up the canopy. There is a very clear stream about 30 yards from the house. This, along with wild blackberries, tender leaf shrubs, and some apple trees, make it very lucrative for wildlife. The old house itself is a two-story house built onto an incline of the hill that overlooks it. This story happened back in the 1970s. My aunt thinks it was around 1978, as she was just finishing up high school at the time. My father had graduated college and was going on to the Air Force, so he had already moved out. My grandfather, although he was old enough to retire, liked to remain busy, so he worked his old job as an electrician and power pole technician. He just now got into an advisory role because he was getting up there in years. He had just gotten the contract down in North Carolina, so he was away from the house for about a week and a half. This left only my 17-year-old aunt and my grandmother at the house. As I said, there was usually quite a bit of wildlife in the area. A typical morning for my grandmother was making breakfast, then sitting on her porch watching deer and rabbits eat at the shrubs. Sometimes she would also see or hear a bobcat, fox, or coyote. On one occasion, she even saw a mountain lion and her cubs walking past. One animal she was familiar with in this area was a very large black bear who was often recognized by folks around those parts because it had a white patch on its chest and a hole in his left ear. My grandmother nicknamed him Captain because he had a habit of sitting on his haunches and reaching up with his paws to pick apples, a motion that resembled, at least to my grandma, someone saluting. Captain was a very big black bear, but was not very aggressive unless people aggravated him. He seemed to have a silent agreement with my grandmother and grandfather that if they left him alone, he would leave them alone. He would just stroll by the house every now and then to have some blackberries on the bushes or apples that had fallen down from the tree, which meant he came by quite often as he was getting too big and old to climb trees much and the fruit trees around the house were low enough he could just reach up and pick the food. My grandfather guessed he was somewhere in the 500 to 600 pound range and roughly six feet tall, as at one point my grandfather measured some of the scratch marks he left on a tree. During the week, my grandmother noticed a fairly sharp decline in the animals coming and going. It was the latter part of summer in a wet season, so most of the plants were full bloom and the leaves were at their tenderest, yet she hadn't seen hide nor hair of any rabbits or deer coming to graze. It was entirely unlike them. A coyote that she had heard yapping every night for the past month just vanished, and a few neighbors, and by neighbors I mean people who lived within five miles, who stopped by, told her something had taken their dog, and their chicken coop had been attacked. All the chickens were gone. 
They assumed the mountain lion that lurked about had done it, since it was the only other thing that could feasibly take down a large farm dog. They had seen Captain the day before, but he was sighted in a completely different area, gorging himself on fruits. They checked around, but couldn't find anything. The following night, my aunt woke my grandmother up in the middle of the night, telling her that she had heard something banging against the outside of her wall. They waited for morning to check around and found bits and pieces of deer scattered all over the wall and ground. There was a big red smear on the wall as well. Judging from the way the gravel was disturbed, the deer had been walking by the house when something ambushed it, and in the struggle, one or both of them smacked into the wall. My grandmother, having grown up in the woods, was familiar with predators and their methods. Mountain lions tend to jump on the back of their prey, raking their claws across the flanks to hold onto them as they bite. Black bears will usually break the neck or crush the back with their paws while biting the head. And the rare occasions coyotes attacked deer, they usually do it by biting down on the inside of the leg and twisting to rip the muscle and arteries. This prey clearly had the throat ripped out and there weren't any claw marks to be found. The bite was also much more narrow than a cougar's. Plus, it seemed there was only one predator from the way the ground had been disturbed, which didn't make sense for coyotes as they typically hunted in pairs, since just one alone has a very hard time taking down prey, particularly full-grown deer. After disposing of the remains, the next few nights were relatively uneventful, except for the fact several times my aunt or grandmother would be awakened in the middle of the night by the eerie sound of something panting heavily outside. Now, in these woods, you can hear a pin drop if it's close enough, and at some points, they could have swore the animal making the panting sound was directly outside the wall, as if it was listening to them sleep. One day, my grandmother was picking some berries when she noticed what appeared to be very large dog tracks going through a mud flat bordering the nearby stream. Thinking it may be the missing farm dog she was told about who had just run away, she followed those tracks until she heard something loudly growling at her from across the stream. She looked up to see the partially obscured face of what appeared to be a large, extremely bulky, brown-colored coyote or wolf standing in a thicket on the other side of the stream. She quickly began to back away, glancing back only to check her footing on the slope that led down to the stream. When she looked back, she saw the very distinctly canine face in much greater detail because the animal had just moved out from under its cover. Instead of stepping out of the leaves like she thought it did at first, she soon noticed that it was instead standing up on two legs and peering over the shrubs taller than a man. Now she had seen canines stand upright before. Dogs often do it, foxes do it, coyotes sometimes do it. But it was the size that took her off guard. Being that big, it seemed impossible to be able to keep its balance right like that. She had been to the exact same thicket of shrubs just the other day, 
and her head only just barely reached the top. My grandmother was around five foot three, but this creature, its head easily cleared the shrubs with a little bit of extra visible. And usually when a predator is making no attempt to hide, it's because it's trying to intimidate someone. My grandmother managed to back away to the hill without turning around. And when she started to get out of sight, the creature stepped out of the thicket on its hind legs. It strolled forward in a very uncanny way that she had trouble describing, but she insisted it never went back down on all fours, seemingly walking naturally on two. Needless to say, she backpedaled to the house. That very same night, my aunt and grandmother heard the panting again, along with a distant howl and scraping sounds. They found the next day the garage door, back door frame, and kitchen window frame all had been torn with deep claw marks on them from something that had been messing with them. This canine creature was seen a few more times across the week by my grandmother and the neighbors, usually on or near the area of my family's property. My aunt finally saw it herself when she saw a pair of fuzzy ears just outside her window. She wasn't startled at first because she assumed it may be Captain, who had come to her window before sniffing around, and she gradually became accustomed to the big bear over the years. But in the Captain's case, his ears only barely reached the edge of the windowsill, but on this occasion, she could clearly see the top of the owner's head. She quickly realized it was not the bear because of the pointed shape, brown coloring, and the fact that it had two fully intact ears. They also started to detect a very pungent smell on a side door porch. At one time finding what appeared to be urine or some other liquid, suggesting that some new animal had scent marked it to claim their spot. It all came to a frightening head on a Wednesday night when they heard howling in the distance growing closer. My grandmother flipped on a porch light and glimpsed the animal, the canine animal, quickly sprinting across the lawn on its hind legs again, yet another sighting of hers confirming just how big it was. For several hours of the night, they could hear it roaming around the property, pressing against doors like it was trying to find a weak point, trying to find a way inside. They glimpsed at several points eye shine of yellow eyes peering in through the windows, as well as broad, long, fingered paws being pushed against the glass. This was before cell phones and even 24-hour police service in some rural locations, so no one had a means of immediately calling the police. Instead, my grandmother had to wait arduous minutes on a landline with connection difficulty trying to call the police station two towns over. She was distracted by my aunt screaming, running into the bedroom to get one of the firearms out. She had been sitting in the living room when she felt clicking against the glass. She turned and came face to face with what she called that wolf thing, pressing its face and baring its teeth against the surface with its claws fully outstretched. It was becoming increasingly clear the creature was trying to get into the house and knew they were in there. They heard it panting through a wall before there was the sound of heavy footsteps 
and a very loud thump. Now, it's not like in the movies when creatures roar, snarl, and hiss constantly no matter what they're doing. My aunt and grandmother hadn't the faintest idea what was going on outside and did not want to investigate until the morning after. They could tell something was antagonizing the beast as occasional grunts, barks, and rumbles were audible through the blackness. They found no bodies, but there had clearly been a ferocious altercation. The ground was ripped up in multiple spots. The wall had a dent in it, and there was some oxidized red traces on the grass and dirt. My grandmother also found a trail where something had charged through the shrubs and saw several vague dog prints and wider tracks moving the same direction. The usual animals all seemed to finally come back by the end of the week, and the strange and terrifying howls stopped. When my grandfather came back home, he, my aunt, and some neighbors surveyed the area to make sure the wolf creature was gone. Evidently, the neighbors had also heard howls around their property at night, and that stopped recently too. They could not find it despite surveying the entire area, although they did find what looked like tracks leading out of the property and running off into the mountains. Several days later, my grandmother saw Captain again, marking his territory by rubbing up against a tree in their yard, then scratching his back on it. He had several cuts on his muzzle, was missing patches of fur, and had some healed bite wounds on his arm, and the hole in his ear had been torn open to the point he was missing half the ear flap. But other than that, and a slight limp that went away with time, Captain was fine, but he had obviously been in quite the struggle. When my grandpa was told about the urine-like smell on the doorstep when the wolf creature was running amok, my grandpa figured it was trying to claim the territory here. Usually, black bears are relatively docile, but evidently, Captain took issue with this, some newcomer imposing on his space and became aggressive. So what my grandmother and aunt maybe heard that night was the bear charging while it was distracted and engaging the intruder. While the wolf-looking creature was taller, it did seem skinnier and apparently decided it wasn't worth claiming this spot if it meant having to square off with a quarter ton of claws and teeth. As a sort of thank you, and to help him recover his strength quicker, my grandmother trimmed the apple trees to down all the fruit and let the bear enjoy himself without feeding him directly. Winter would be in a few months after all, and she wanted him fattened up good and well, so that he could stick around for the next year or two, just in case. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too. In the Detective Club, 
where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Native American Story by Anonymous I live on the Menominee Reservation located in Wisconsin. Growing up around here, paranormal and mysterious activity is something that most of us, and honestly, Native Americans in general like myself, have grown accustomed to. We have our own local police force, and I was told this story through one of the cops there who had worked for the local force for quite some time. How our reservation is laid out, there are a lot of tribal housing areas, and it's all just tons and tons of woods and trees around here, which is basically what the tribe is known for. Anyway, there was a night where this officer and his partner were called to an initially thought domestic violence call. It's a pretty normal thing around here, unfortunately. So the individual who had made the call explained that they kept hearing people screaming, fighting, breaking and shattering glass within this residential area. So the two officers were sent over. They arrived at the residence within a few minutes, and as they approached the house, they too began to hear the screaming. It was like kids crying, and it sounded like they were destroying the place from the inside. The officers knew they had to engage and calm the situation. As they knocked on the door, they could still hear the extremely loud ruckus. After no response and the noises only getting louder, they had to bust the door down. When they entered the residence, it was completely dark and the officers had flashed their lights everywhere and did not find a single piece of evidence that anything violent had taken place. In fact, the entire residence was empty. Right after that, both of the officers had left and were extremely creeped out from the experience. They don't really talk about it from the best of my knowledge, which is surprising considering how much weird stuff happens in this area. Gagged by Wood Spirits by Moonchild I'm 19 years old and I'm from Finland. I had this experience about four years ago now when I lived in Lapland. Our house was deep in the woods, located near this dense foresty hill where I used to go take long walks. It was winter then and there was a lot of snow on the ground. I was going up that hill once again, trying to get some fresh air and some exercise. I was not planning on staying long because it was extremely cold out. Even so, I was waiting in the snow in the middle of the woods and I still wasn't too far from my house. Anyway, every time I spend time in nature, I totally lose my sense of time. And that's what ended up happening to me that day as well. Not to mention that forest in particular always gave me weird vibes. It was as if someone was watching me 
every minute, everywhere I go, and I'm kind of scared to deviate from the path or make much noise in case whatever I feel is watching me decides to do something different. I want to be respectful, you know? But I believe that there's an ancient creature that lives on this very hill because the hill's named is Onas and that creature is known locally as Onas Uko. I believe what I feel up on that hill is the presence of the Uko. So I was searching for one trail that day that I knew to be near. I wanted to get out of the snow and walk on the trail because it was stopping me from moving faster. Still, for some weird reason, I couldn't spot the trail no matter how I was searching. It took me maybe an hour to find it, even though it should have been just right there. Then I realized this was not the trail I was actually looking for. I was maybe three miles away from my home now, and there's no way I could have made it that far. Remember, I was used to these woods and was in them almost every day. I was freezing by then and extremely confused and worried. I, I had to find the right trail soon and walk all the way back home. If I didn't, I'd freeze out here and I've heard that some spirits that live in the woods can trick or mislead people. They're not evil per se, just really impish. And that's an old belief. I strongly believe that these spirits had something to do with my experience that day, getting me lost. And if I'd gotten any more lost than that, I may not be here to type this story. The Creature That Followed Us Home by Alex P. I never believed in monsters or the paranormal, but this has been a rude awakening for me. It was the beginning of summer, and me and my friend Leo were extremely excited. When the last day of school let out that year, we had plans to hang out and explore the dense woods surrounding Leo's house. When we made it to his place, we of course ate first, as we were always starving after school. We hung out there for a while. After some time, we left to go to the park, and by then it was 3.30. We got to the park and decided just to walk along the trails for a little while. Well, we lost track of time, and before we knew it, we were extremely deep into the woods, so far that the official trails had stopped and we were just walking through wilderness. It was already 6 p.m. by then, according to my watch, and we had a long walk to get back home. I said to Leo, we should probably get going before it gets really dark. We began to walk, and after a little time, we were nearing the front of the park where we had started. It took us an hour and 45 minutes to get there, and it was nearly dark. I said to Leo, we still got about 20 minutes walk, so let's speed up. Calm down, we'll make it there, dark or not, he said to me. We continued on at a steady walking pace. 15 minutes later, the sun was below the tree line. It was pitch black, and we were still stuck in the woods. At that point, I started jogging, trying to get Leo to do it with me. We both began to half speed walk and half jog, 
when we heard loud rustling noises from our left, which caused us to pause for a moment. We both knew it couldn't have been the wind. That day had been extremely calm. The trees around us were extremely still, not so much as a gust or breeze blowing past them. What caused that rustling was animal in origin. After we watched and waited for a moment, I tapped Leo on the shoulder and said we needed to keep going. We continued on, but were soon stopping again when we saw a flash of white from our left. It looked like eye shine. And these eyes were not just regular eyes. They were misshapen, like extremely slim, with a long black line through the middle. We saw them darting around us and knew we could not take this lightly. We began to run full speed back to his house. Once we made it to Leo's place, we went inside to calm down and reevaluate what happened. We were so scared and confused, and we wanted a non-creepy explanation as to what happened. Being either brave or stupid, we decided it would be fun to go outside to the trampoline to keep watch for the thing, like a couple of boys our age were going to do anything about it. Once Leo agreed, we went outside, trying to find those piercing eyes. Eventually, we forgot about it and started playing on the trampoline. Five minutes into us jumping around, we began hearing noises from the far right corner of the yard. That went on for about 10 seconds, and neither me nor Leo could take our eyes off of the area. Personally, my heart was pounding right out of my chest. I immediately regretted the idea that we could be brave and face this thing. We hadn't taken it seriously, and we may be paying the price for it. We weren't entirely sure if it was the same thing or something else, at least until the noise stopped and a figure was walking towards us. A figure with extremely thin appendages, crawling on all fours, akin to a gorilla. The creature was so fast that the moment we screamed, it was already running under the trampoline. We both felt it brush up against our feet from below. We jumped off and ran as fast as we could back to his house, not wanting to know if that monstrous thing was following us. We made it to the door and ran inside, locking it behind us. Just as we were catching our breaths, something suddenly banged against the door, as if a fully grown man had thrown its body against it. We looked out the door, but all we saw was a flash of pale skin walking off into the trees. It was unbelievable how fast that thing was. It crawled around on all fours like some child playing like an animal, but it moved as fast as an athletic dog. I was completely surprised it didn't catch us. A few days after that, Leo texted me and said that he had been seeing the eyes of that thing in the tree line near his house, and that when he told his parents, they would simply say it was a cat. He's scared to go outside of his own house now, day or night, and sadly, I can't be there for him because I'm scared to go back to his place. The next time you think about taking a back road, naturally leading into the backwoods, just remember these stories. Remember the people who survived close encounters with the strange, with the unreal, 
and with the absolutely terrifying. So yeah, if you want to be nearly taken or nearly have your life ended, the backwoods are perfect for you. So just have fun and don't forget to write your will before you go. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. If you want to submit your story to this channel, go to darknessprevails.org. I'm looking for stories from backpackers and sea monster sightings. If you want to support this channel further, you can go to patreon.com slash darknessprevails and donate any amount, and you'll get your name in the credits at the end of the videos. Or click the shop button below, or go to teespring.com slash darkprevails and get yourself a piece of cool, creepy merchandise. Thank you. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video, about 10 of the most horrifying neighbors. Al Peak says, you better notice me looking at you under your bed, darkness. Good God, the amount of people who are under my bed, apparently. Is that why I keep waking up at night? You guys fighting over who gets to lick my feet when they hang over? I love it. Matt Morales says, I'ma keep it real with you, chief. Smash that MF like button. That's right, guys, I want you to smash it so hard that I have to buy a new one repeatedly every time I upload a video. That's how you know your fans are great. I'm Unicorn says, I'm a scared unicorn now. That's, that's way too wholesome for my channel, little unicorn, but uh, I'll allow it. Hanania Wright says, you scared me. Congrats, I don't get scared often. There are so many freaking stories on my channel that there's at least one for each person that's gonna get them spooked. And the more spooks, the better. And Bleach Sancho Blast K says, I think I'm the weird neighbor. Don't worry, I'm a weird neighbor too. I'm that guy that stares daggers at people from my porch because what they don't know is that they're being too loud while I'm trying to narrate, but they have every right to be as loud as they want. So all I can do is stare, stare, stare. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another Darkness Prevails episode. More scary stories are coming soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome folks. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.